This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and I'm joined, as always, by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you doing? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Hey, uh, before we get started, just quickly, uh, I want to make special mention that our Comedian versus Economist uh, Facebook and Instagram pages are live, Thomas. Mm. We are blowing up. We're going viral. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mentioned the Instagram page last week on the show. We are five-bagging on last week. We are 5X at least. Wow. Um, yeah, we're up to about 124 followers. Wow. <laughs> Which, you know, you got to start somewhere. Mm. So uh, if you are looking to, to stay in touch with us, that's a good, good place to do it. Thomas has been pumping out some amazing charts mm, mm. Um, this week. So if charts is your bag, then, uh, then hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Just search Comedian versus Economist or look for CVE Podcast, I think is the handle. But don't forget you can email us if you like to. We love getting your emails, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE. But massive show coming up for you today. I feel like it's deja vu again, deja stock maybe. Um, we've got another meme stock on our hands. This time it's AMC. Last time it was GameStop. Uh, AMC's blowing up now and going all over the place. We're going to talk about China's new three-child policy, which is up from their previous two-child policy. We'll find out what's happening uh, with the reject shop. Maybe their crazy prices were just too, too low. Uh, and for a bit of fun, later on, we're going to take a look at a sculpture of absolutely nothing, which is just sold for nearly $24,000. But first, Thomas, I know you were excited last week. GDP numbers came out. I didn't pay any attention. I'm hoping you did. What did we learn? Uh, it was a good result. It was a strong result. Yeah, I think, you know, the the story doing the rounds is it's we're one of the few countries now to have fully jumped over the the COVID hole out the other side. So GDP is now higher than it was in December 2019. That was the last quarter we had that was unaffected by COVID. We're now, yeah, slightly above that level. So we're back, we're over that hump. And we're, yeah, one of the few countries in the world that can that can claim that honor. It was a, yeah, it was, it was a big result. We got, it was 1.8 in the quarter. Economists generally can, uh, expecting 1.5, so that was a strong result. Markets got a little bit of a tickle out of that. <laughs> oh, I bet they did. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, only economists that get excited by 0.3%. Like, you know, we, we're going to talk about AMC. <laughs> We've talked about GameStop in the past. You know, people are looking at these stocks and they're going up 60%, then down 20%. Look at the crypto market. It's like, you know, Bitcoin's down 48%. Dogecoin's gone up 300%. <laughs> Meanwhile, over at the economics factory, oh, it's gone up 0.3%. That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's important. I'm sure in the big scheme of things, 0.3% is significant. Yeah. Well, is it significant or is it just that it's it's indicative of where we're at and that's a good thing, that's a good story? Uh, like it, it, it says that the, the economy is... is you know, better than expected. We're doing, you know, we, we knew it was strong. We're at like expecting 1.5 in the quarter, you know, mm. you can kind of annualize that. So every quarter, four quarters in a year times that by four, you get 6%. So we're growing at like a 6% per annum kind of pace. Uh, you know, that's not exactly right, but, you know, more or less. So that's, that's, a, that's a really strong result. That's a very fast pace of growth. So, yeah, so 1.8 is even better than that. So it's like we were expecting it to be strong, but it came in even stronger than that. So it was like had that effect of like we're expecting good news and then we got extra good news. So, yeah. Right. And is that good news for – who is that good news for? Is it good news for me? Is it good news for, for investors? Is it good news for the markets generally? Is it good news for inflation? Um. Like you can you can typically think about the economy and the and the measure of GDP that measure as being a sort of a proxy for the share market because all of our companies are the organisations that produce all our stuff alongside mm. the government. Um, so if we're producing more, that generally means that our companies are producing more and selling more. If they're selling more, they're probably going to be making bigger profits, and that generally means that we can expect this. You know, it's a it's a good sign for our share markets because it is a good profit environment. We can think about it like that. Yeah, so in that in that sense, it's it's sort of it's a bullish signal for for share markets overall. Yeah, and in terms of inflation, there's nothing there that really gives us a strong read on inflation, other than that, yeah, the economy is running hotter than anticipated, so increases maybe the short term risk for inflation. But I wouldn't mm. let's not let's not go there. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Well, if you want if you want to know about inflation, I bought a cucumber the other day. Mm. Cost four dollars sixty for one for cucumber. One cucumber. Yeah. Whoa. The supermarket. Whoa. So there's your inflation story. Yeah. Well, front page news. <laughs> well, is it organic or something? No. no I don't. Well, it might have been. Wow. Um, yeah. Went to the supermarket. We needed, we needed a few things. I don't often, like, uh-huh. I don't often go to do the, the supermarket, the grocery shopping. Um, so I'm maybe not as skilled in the fine arts, but. Um, but How big was it? Like three or four foot? <laughs> it was it was a regular size cucumber that that didn't even last, right? The kids didn't eat it and then it was stayed in the fridge and it went off in like two days. Wow. Yeah. So maybe it was organic. It didn't have all the preservatives, like wasn't injected with <laughs> with hormones or whatever keeps cucumbers good. Disappointing. But I thought at the time I bought it, I was like is that inflation? Is that is that the tangible effects of inflation? Well, UN measures... Or is it just an expensive cucumber? There's, a, there's an interesting chart I'll share to our Instagram. <laughs> Go check it out. But UN food, the, the UN has an index of food prices. They're now as... And they've been on a tearaway since, since the start of the year. They're now yeah. at, at the level they were when the Arab Spring launched. What's the Arab Spring? Oh, that was a sort of like an uprising in some of the the Arab nations against sort of dictatorial regimes. Syria, that oh. that whole that whole movement, like there was a across across the region, there were a whole bunch of protests. How long ago? 
what was it? Two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Oh, maybe? so I was alive. It's not like a, I thought it was maybe a historical event. This is just another one of those things that I've I've just missed. Just missed it. Yeah, yeah. No, probably <laughs> one of the most important. Like the whole Syrian crisis, it was the direct result of the Arab Spring. Right. The Arab, Arab uprising. Um, yeah, but the, there's a sort of a theory going that the food prices are back where they were at the Arab Spring, which means that people are feeling the pressure and mm. potentially leads to political instability. Yeah. Well, now that I'm paying too much for cucumbers, Tom, yeah, you can, you're ready to take to the streets. There's, so. there's an uprising coming, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Just one, one more interesting story out of GDP. So there wasn't, su- wasn't mm. heaps there we didn't know. Um, one more interesting story. It was, it was yes. a good result. That, that's kind of as much as we need to go. But one of, one of the interesting things, we did, were expecting a strong result out of uh, commodities because commodity prices had been so strong. But commodity, uh, commodity exports acted, actually detracted from growth over the year because volumes are down. So prices are up for nice. iron ore and that sort of thing, but our export volumes are down. So that, they are they, actually a negative contributor to Don't GDP tell me growth. the super cycle's finished already. Yeah, that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> That's disappointing. Well, yeah. We only talked about it three weeks ago. We we're hitting this commodity super cycle. It's <laughs> over. <laughs> it's the middle of June in the same year. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, I was expecting a lot more from the super cycle. Well, I think it's still still, um, still a good good story for the miners, but um, in terms of like GDP growth, it was it wasn't it wasn't a story this year. In fact, the uh, one analysis is showing that it was um, stamp duties and renovations that solely carried the economy in the last year. So stamp duties and renovations, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. People buying houses and then people filling them with stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying so that that accounted for zero point nine percentage points of the one point one percent increase in GDP over the past year, according to the AFR. Wow, that's pretty significant. Yeah, it's like almost all of it. So there's there's some people going like that doesn't look that broad based. Like if you if you're talking about a growing economy, you want it to be coming from more than just houses and mm. the selling of houses and the doing up of houses. So that's yeah, it's a bit too narrow. A bit too narrow. But once they finish putting on the on the jacuzzi then mm. then we could be in trouble. Yeah, potentially, potentially. But, I mean, that's over the year. So I think the, the growth over the last quarter or the last six months is more broad-based than that. But still, over the year, mm. all about all about houses. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you what it's all about in the US markets at the moment. It's all about AMC. So we had GameStop mm. earlier in the year. Uh, GameStop, which was a, uh, a buying frenzy in the GameStop stock or stonks, as a lot of people like to refer to them to, off the fueled by um, the Wall Street bets Reddit, and now it's now they've turned their attention to AMC. AMC's been on a roller coaster ride. Just I think I think it's up at the moment still, um, but it's kind of in that volatile space where by the time you're hearing this, and we're recording on a Monday night, by the time this episode drops on Wednesday, it could likely be. 20% up or down at least from where it is right now, which is around about $50. The best headline I saw from the last sort of couple of weeks was AMC shares finally fall 18% after movie theater chain warned investors they could lose all their money. <laughs> I thought, but you know what, when, you, when you're putting together your investment thesis and you, you're thinking about a stock and you think... Will I lose all my money? If the answer to that question is is possibly or probably yes, then that's a no from me from my investment portfolio. Yeah. Tom, what have you been making of it? Well, that's what we learned from Hertz, wasn't it? That you could be a bankrupt mm. company and still attract share investors. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the meme stock phenomenon is interesting and it's not going away. And I think that's what's in, really interesting. I think, you know, Hertz was a really unusual story, but it was relatively small scale before and didn't sort of blow up too much before it sort of like petered out. GameStop blew up in a huge way and still is still kicking like the GameStop is still kicking there's still people mm. back in GameStop it's not like it was just a joke and then everyone had their fun and walked away which I think most people are expecting and same with Dogecoin that like that's you know it's off but it's like there's still people backing the Doge oh it's going up again I mean as soon as yeah. Elon Musk tweets about it it fires up another 20 percent and then mm. peters off or drops off when he tweets about it again <laughs> It's almost like he's he's like controlling the market. It's like he's. Oh, well, did you see Anonymous come after him? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Released a video attacking him for. Mm. Yeah. Oh, crazy times. Yeah. So yeah, the meme stock phenomenon is not going away, and um, and it's got more legs. A meme stock has more legs than I think most people expected that happened mm. so amc it's all you know it's ridiculous it people pointed out saying like it's a it's a it's a movie theater company in the middle of a lockdown people are really struggling the the, the company's really struggling the outlook's terrible mm. but people are like yeah we know we don't care we're we're just going for it and like i think this is what this is what is new that the, the retail investors one there's enough of them and two that they they're able to move in a coordinated way in mm. a, in a herd sort of in a herd like way um, not in an aimless way but in a kind of a coordinated directed way and that's a really new phenomenon like we've never really seen that in the markets mm. and it, and it's sort of it's tech in a way it's technology driven in the sense that retail investors are now in the markets through the trading apps like Robinhood and all of that um, but they're also coordinating over things like Reddit, um, you know, so like 50 years ago, there just wasn't even the possibility that, that a, a story like this could gain that kind of traction and, and keep going, would have had to get through the gatekeepers in traditional media, mm. who would have shut it down really quickly and said, oh, these guys are idiots, don't listen to them. Um, yeah, so, so, it's, so it's a really new phenomenon. And I don't think the market as a whole and regulators really have an idea of how to handle it or what to do with it. No, it's pretty tricky because there's, you know, I mean, you'd love to know where the next one is. I know that they're talking about BlackBerry as well. BlackBerry seems like they're still a reasonable company. Like they're, oh, yeah. um, they're into cybersecurity now. They used to make mobile devices for anyone that might be might, might be new to the scene. But, um, you know, they used to call them CrackBerry because they were that addictive um, pre-iPhone. So... Really? Was it, um, yeah. Wow. Um, well, the, the president at the time, who was it? Must have been, was it Obama? Obama had a crackberry. Really? Yeah, I think so. Wow. But yeah, so then, but then they also, they slid when Apple came along with their iPhone. And mm. so people stopped using, stopped using Blackberry. But I don't know, there must be a few. I was thinking of like Kodak the other day. Like Kodak, I think that was talked about at one stage as a, as a meme stock. All these mm. kind of stocks, Nokia, I think was another one. Mm. Um, stocks that kind of used to be popular that people have this nostalgic sense around that they want to kind of mm. they want to get on board with. and need to have like a nostalgia ETF. Oh, you could be onto something there. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be good? Just like... <laughs> no, because the basic fundamentals would suck. Cool companies of the 90s. <laughs> All these people just getting in the stack. How's it going? How's my ETF tracking? Now it turns out they're all just lame stocks <laughs> that, that are still going nowhere. Um, I think the best thing was that, that I saw too, that um, the AMC have, have offered free popcorn to shareholders <laughs> who hold their stock. <laughs> 
<laughs> which you know that's one way to keep them in i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure berkshire hathaway did the same promo if you if you bought berkshire if you bought some berkshire hathaway class b shares and you got a free coke but i did i did hear that amc issued some new stock mm, mm. i don't know i don't understand what that means like, how do they just create some stock and sell some stock and where did it dilute does it dilute the existing stock uh, yeah, look, I'm not across the details. I don't, know, I don't know how they did that, but that's what I presume is right. I mean, you remember Hertz did this. Mm. Hertz actually had to go to their bankruptcy judge yeah. and say, look, our stocks, stonks just going off. Yeah. Uh, can we issue some new capital? And then had to issue a prospectus said, oh, look, we're pretty much bankrupt. <laughs> bankrupt. That's the other investment thesis. I, the thing I like to include in my thesis is, is the company bankrupt? Yeah. Um, Performs very well, that filter. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a screen. Yeah, so the, and that caused a bit of a stoush because the existing investors were a bit like, oh, hey, don't don't be diluting our shares. Yeah, and the, and the CEO is like, well, I need the money because then I can actually do some stuff and then actually become a profitable company. <laughs> but is that the that's not is that that's not the motivation? That's not even the intention of the people who are buying. Is that they're not kind of do they even care what happens to AMC? Do they care about the movie theater business? Are they kind of like, oh, well, I'm buying some stocks because I believe in the company and they need some money so they can put in some you know, some digital screens or more comfy seats or whatever. They're like, I don't care what you do with it. I'm just on board to, you know. Yeah, I'm cashing out at the end of the month. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Like we don't we don't have enough data on, like so the, the, the story is it's just a bunch of punks making crazy bets on Wall Street with no idea mm. what they're doing, backing losers because it's hilarious and then making heaps of money and sticking it to the system yeah and that's that's the narrative but like how deep is that like how many people are actually like that how many people are you know are doing that i mean Mm. i would expect i would expect it's you know almost entirely a speculative play in the sense that it picks up out of reddit and that kind of crew and then smarter money looks at it and goes like well there's momentum there i'm going to ride some momentum yeah all all Um, the algorithms kick in and yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Take it off. Is it also due to the the amount of money that's in the system at the moment? You know, there's been a lot of stimulus, and like, would we be, mm. would we be seeing these phenomenon phenomena mm. <laughs> um, if if there wasn't so much kind of if people people seemingly maybe at the moment have more money to spend or to speculate with? Yeah, that. Yeah, I think I, it must be a factor. It must be a factor. But if you look at the, there's some survey data on what people plan to do with their stimulus checks, mm. and it wasn't overwhelmingly going into investments. Like a lot of it was to pay down debt or to buy stuff or just stick in savings. Mm. It wasn't, you know. So there was the the thesis, particularly with Bitcoin, was you know once the stimulus checks land, everyone's going to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin will pop, um, and that just didn't happen. Mm. And I don't know that we haven't really seen a stimulus check effect in any asset market yet. Right. So, I mean, it, it must be a factor, but I think I think it is more structural. It's more the rise of the retail trader. It's more that coordination that's happening through forums like Reddit. I think it's it's more of a structural thing, which is why I think it's not going away. Like I think it, there is a, there is probably a cyclical component to it with the with all the cash that's on hand at the moment, but mm. it's also there's also something structural here as well. Cool. All right. Before we get to a break, let's just check in with China and what's happening over there. They've just gone from the two-child policy where you could have up to two children. They've just announced a three-child policy 
which brings into into line ironically with my kids' birthday party policies. No more than three kids at any one time at the birthday parties. Is that, what, what's driving that? So that, I, I did a quick bit of research. 2016 was when they went from one one child to two children per family. Mm, mm. Yep. So one. So they brought in the one child policy in 1979. Yeah, ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not in you know Ming Dynasty ages, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but ages for most of us. Yeah. Ages ago. Um, so they did that because what the population was out of control, was booming. So they said, this- "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I think I think they were worried. They saw where the population was going, and I think they were just generally worried that they weren't going to be able to feed everybody. Right. They're going to have so many people you couldn't feed them. And Australia had the same story. Like we were, we were worrying about food uh, ability to feed people in the seventies. We didn't think we were going to couldn't grow the population anymore. And then it ended up agriculture became massively mm. more productive. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Um, okay, so they so they they so in twenty sixteen they went to two children, but then hmm. from what I've read, um, people at that time were like, I, I can't afford two children, like it's too expensive. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I don't have we don't have the money to to pay for the, the second child. We don't have to your point, you know, it's tough to feed a family of four. It's harder than hmm. feeding a family of three. Um, so they they're trying to grow the population again by having this two child policy. And everyone's like, wow, that's too expensive. We can't afford two kids. And they're like, all right, how about three kids there? <laughs> like, no, no, you're, you're missing the point. Ten kids. You'll have ten kids. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this doesn't work. Like, yeah. I, lo- I love it. There was a survey on the Xinhua, which I, I forgive my pronunciation, which is the official news site, um, which said, are you ready to have another child? And of the 31,000 respondents, 29,000 said would never even think about it. <laughs> It's right. 93%. So, and then the poll was censored like it was removed. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. So where does it so is it a good move then or not or is this just is it is it sort of a hit and hope approach to population growth? I mean the thing is you just can't you just can't turn this stuff on a dime like because mm. because like the kind of how many children you have is so sort of socially determined it sort of depends on what's going on around you, what mm. kind of infrastructure is in place to support it. You know, you've had decades of one child, so everyone's sort of geared around having one child, and then you can't you can't just sort of turn that around, sort of socially, and then you have the the economics of it, where it's it is expensive to have another child, and you're trying to get ahead, um, mm. particularly if childcare and education is expensive, and education is relatively expensive in China. Um, so yeah, it's it's not something that you can just turn around with a, with a policy measure. And it's and China's this is the demographics is is a real challenge for China. So their working age population, so the number of people sixteen to sixty five as a percent of the population, that peaked mm. back in two thousand and ten, and has been declining ever since. So China's got an aging population, and then I think its its total population is expected to peak, you know, sometime in the next ten years, and then it starts falling. Right. You know, so the Chinese population actually goes into decline very soon. Yeah, wow, and that and that really and and the working the working population's already declining. So, so is that is that the economic sort of view of it? Then it's it's a bad thing because presumably if, if if your population declines, then that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Because you know, like it's only decline. Like if if conditions improve for those that are there, then isn't that a a good thing? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we have this kind of concept of per capita GDP, which we look at. And a lot, one of the criticisms of Australian GDP or Australian economic growth is that it's been largely driven by population growth. Right. So per capita income has, hasn't been particularly impressive. And so like in 2018, there was a per capita recession. So mm. GDP per person was actually going backwards. Yeah, so it's, it's not a problem. If, but if your working age population is falling as a share, that means that more working people are supporting a larger number of non-working people. Right. And that's, a bit of, that's seen as a bit of a problem or that, that's, a real, uh, that's a challenge. Mm. Um, and that's sort of where China's going. And, it's, and they're following quickly behind Japan and Italy in terms of having an aging population. And it just means you can't really grow the economy that much or get that much done because so much of your economic activity is going to support your, your elderly. Yeah, right. Interesting. Mm. Oh, hopefully they can get some more kids. Mm. Tell you what, you know, you know who it is good news for? Who's that? Chinese Wiggles. Chinese Wiggles. Are there Chinese Wiggles? <laughs> There's a Chinese Wiggles. I found it on the internet. Um, oh, wow. And guess what? You can, if, if you want to invest in the Chinese Wiggles, you can buy Disney because Disney owned the license to the Chinese Wiggles. Wow. So. There you go. There's some <laughs> actionable advice. <laughs> Heard it first on the Comedian vs. Economist. <laughs> not financial advice. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. We're going to take a short break right here and get a word from this week's sponsor. We'll be back with more Comedian vs. Economist after this. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. While you're listening to the show, why don't you go onto iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. Leave us a rating if you like the show. Um, leave us a comment. We'd love to get your thoughts and feedback. Or if you'd like to send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or head over to the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. Thomas, we're talking reject shop right now. And am I right? Their shares have just tanked recently. They're down 11%. Mm, mm. Yeah, they got a wallop. Yeah, they were, had to, had a bad bad results. Um, yeah, report basically just not selling enough right. stuff. Right, that'll do it. Not, not not moving enough units. Markets were very disappointed. Share price got hammered. You know what they need to bring back? What's that? They need to bring back the unauthorized CDs that they used to sell for five dollars. <laughs> 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 yeah, that business unit I've, really dried up, didn't it? Yeah, I found it, um, an ad from like eight, you know, a long time ago on YouTube, and they used to have the, uh, there's this thing unauthorized CDs, like from all your favorite artists, Guns and Roses and whatever, five dollars each. <laughs> there's like these CDs without covers. <laughs> uh, that's how you get the that's how you get the customers in. Mm. Dodgy, dodgy MP3 ripoffs. But anyway, yeah. So what's the uh, what's happened to them? Uh, partly it's, it's, it's cost pressures. So mm. stuff coming out of China has become more expensive. So that's, that's squeezing their margins. You know, it's a $2 shop. It's not a $2.30 shop. It's hard to increase your prices <laughs> when they're, they're anchored in, in the round numbers. Inflation's a killer <laughs> yeah. at the $2 shop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, they really overplayed their hand on the low inflation environment. Yeah. They're now yeah. paying $4 for coffee mugs. <laughs> they have to sell it for 2 bucks. <laughs> but then the, the, the CEO is saying it's, it's, it's foot traffic is the problem. So we know that the CBD stores are struggling because mm. the CBDs are struggling to come back to life. But it's also in the shopping centers that the, 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 their stores aren't selling well. 
so it's it's interesting to sort of wonder about why because you would like largely expect that it's a, a good environment now for the retail sector so gdp is expanding consumers are super confident they're flush mm. with cash uh, unemployment's low and heading lower wages are starting to see some sort of sign of picking up so it's a good time for a consumer so you'd expect retail to be doing well so that that, that they have such a disappointing result is enough to sort of make a few analysts that I've read sort of pause and go like, oh, okay, maybe we've been overplaying our hand here with the retail rebound. Maybe it's not going to be as strong as we we're expecting. That's part of it. It may also be the case that we're looking at some kind of structural change in the way consumers are spending and their spending habits that mm. rather than going to $2 shops during COVID, people realize that they can get their world's best dad coffee mug online. <laughs> they don't have to actually go into the shop. So they've that they're, so they've gone to online maybe that they're feeling so flush that they're not feeling they need to go to uh the two dollar shop and get the, the bargain basement shop they'll go to i don't know kmart whatever their competitor is and get mm. the sort of mid mid-range shop yeah. so i don't know so it sort of it points to some interesting things i think from an investment perspective it's there's a bit of a question so maybe just playing the retail rebound broadly without looking at the sort of company specifics might be a little bit of a risk that maybe we need to as investors say yeah we think it's a good a good outlook for retail given how healthy the consumers are and how healthy households Mm. household budgets are but maybe we need to be looking at the specifics of the company and and how they're tracking against consumer consumer spending patterns yeah. Well, as you said, it's, it was stamp duty and renovations mm, that mm. was that was that was providing the bulk of GDP. Probably not, you know, two dollar laundry liquid. Mm, yeah. Um, do they do kitchens <laughs> at the reject shop? <laughs> <laughs> they might do. You probably could. I'd, yeah. That'd be an interesting experiment. See if you could build a kitchen out of products only from the reject shop. <laughs> It'd be fun. Um, I mean, the other problem they got is that the slogan used to be that all you need is loose change. And ah, everything's yeah. pay wave now. No one's got loose change anymore. No one has, people don't know what loose change is. Mm. It's like, you know, you used to be able to just go. Now everywhere is like you just tap. Everything's easy. It doesn't feel like you're spending $5 or $10. Yeah. You know, everything feels like $2 until um, you look at your bank statement and realize you probably should have mm. gone to reject shop. Mm. I wanted to finish with this because it's kind of funny. So we talked a few weeks ago about NFTs and some of the crazy prices that NFTs were fetching for what effectively seemed like not much. People were selling some fairly kind of trivial JPEGs and, and you know, pieces of art. There was Digital pet rocks in different, oh, sh- different shades of grey. In different shades of grey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's there's a joke there about rocks and fifty shades of grey that I'm I'm going to stay well away from. Um, <laughs> right. So well, yeah. So now an artist has come out, and unfortunately, well, or maybe fortunately, he didn't go with an NFT, but he's come up with a sculpture of nothing. Mm. Um, he's produced a sculpture that doesn't exist. You can view it. You've got to view it in a one meter by one meter box. You've got to keep it in the box, but it's nothing. It's empty. He said it. It's you've got to go in a box and to view it. You've got to go in the box. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think so. Well, oh, you, right. you probably can. There's plenty of room in the box. <laughs> There's nothing in there. <laughs> um, yeah, no. He's an Italian artist, and he's he's auctioned off uh, an invisible sculpture 
for nearly $24,000. A 67-year-old artist, Salvatore Garau, uh, sold an immaterial sculpture, Mm. um, which is just a a blatant rip-off, right, (laughs) of... (laughs) <laughs> of that other guy that did four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. Oh, John um, Cage. Which in was itself it? was ridiculous. Yeah, what was his name? Cage? John, yeah, John Cage, I think. Rage in the Cage, yeah. Rage four in the Cage. minutes <laughs> to his four minutes and 33 <laughs> seconds of silence. It was... Do you know the mm. stupid thing about that? Mm, what's that? It was a three-movement composition, four minutes and 33 <laughs> seconds of silence. <laughs> Can't have a look on the Wikipedia page. It was three, it was a three movement composition, which like, just, that's just taking the piss, isn't it? It is, um, surely. So, so this guy's obviously taken the four minutes and 33 seconds of silence and thought, you know what, I could make that into a sculpture. I could, I could take that and I could form it into a sculpture that no one can see. Um so uh, yeah, I don't know. The world's gone. The world has gone mad. Of all the things that you could buy, so I'm surprised he didn't mm. offer it as an NFT. Um, yeah, given where things are at, I mean, I guess they have some kind of ownership certificate of the nothing. I mean, well, what are they want even proof buying? That you own it. Well, own Imagine what? Imagine the police. <laughs> My sculpture's <laughs> been stolen. <laughs> Could you give us a description? Oh man! Well, it was over there. It's prime for insurance. (laughs) (laughs) It's prime for insurance fraud, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? Someone stolen my sculpture. Yeah, and frauds are like knockoffs, cheap knockoff copies, (laughs) imitation, imitation sculptures of nothing. There's a business idea for the reject shop. Yeah, like cheap five dollar knockoffs. Conceptual replicas. Five dollars each. Oh, man. So, look, wow. if you're looking for an investment, you know, you want to invest in some artwork, maybe steer clear of the $24,000 sculpture of nothing um, mm. because, I don't know, I feel like I feel like it's not going to end well. But there you go. People, value is what people will pay. That's right. There you mm. go. That's, that's that's end today's lesson. <laughs> uh, look, thank you very much for joining us. That'll do us for, for this week. Really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, love it if you went and left a, a rating and, re, and a review. Check us out, CVE Podcast, on both Instagram and Facebook now. Woo! Uh, send us an email, of course, cve at equitymates.com or equitymates.com forward slash CVE. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.